как зенитки, вот это ба-ба-ба-ба-ба. Я всю ночь уже не спала. Ну, все хорошо, мы доехали с Божьей помощью. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. That was Tamara you just heard. She was recalling the sounds of gunfire that kept her awake at night before she fled her home in the East. Tamara was a patient who was cared for at one of our outpatient clinics in Ukraine. Since the end of February, Samaritan's Purse has been working in Ukraine, providing medical care, distributing food, and other life-saving essentials. The work hasn't slowed down. Actually, it's grown and expanded. We, we've expanded to the point of having more than 130 disaster response specialists on the ground at any given time. We're running multiple medical facilities across the country. We're resupplying local hospitals, and last week alone, we moved forward more than 500 metric tons of food. It's astounding to watch how God is working, and He is truly doing more than we could ask or imagine. The magnitude of this response is overwhelming. But I know for me, it's always encouraging to hear how God is working individually in our staff and in the hearts of the patients that we're helping. The physical relief that we provide is just an avenue to share God's love with hurting individuals. I want to start the episode by allowing you to hear from Caitlin, one of our podcast members who was recently in Ukraine. I had the chance to sit down with her just days after she got home, and here's what we talked about. Let's start with the emergency field hospital. Okay. Uh, what does that look like? And then we'll talk about the other stations that have been set up out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the emergency field hospital is set up in an underground parking garage outside of Lviv. Uh, so it's really, it's really very strange because it's completely underground, so you can't see the sun. Uh, it's kind of like its own little underground world that mm-hmm. we've just transformed into not only a fully functioning hospital with surgical capacity, but also living quarters. It's where we ate all three of our meals. So it's just like a mini city that's been established underground. So we set up an emergency field hospital, mm-hmm. but I love the way that Samaritan's Purse adapts to the needs on the ground. And so, you know, they found there were more needs that we didn't even know about. The train station, the bus station, so there's now clinics. So mm-hmm. talk to me about just even... Have you ever seen that happen, you know, where the emergency field hospital was set up for a purpose and then it was reconfigured for what the needs were on the ground? Yeah, it was really interesting to be there and be a part of that because Lviv has become kind of our hub of operations. So that's really where the base is and where our largest setup is with the field hospital, surgical capacity, inpatient capacity. But then people are just moving so quickly that we— really quickly realized we don't just need this emergency field hospital set up underground, though that's needed and is serving mm-hmm. uh, really vulnerable people in the area, but we also need to be at these points of transit. So we need to be at the bus station. We need to be at the train station providing just emergency medical care, meeting people's needs right where they are. So we were constantly, the team was constantly assessing how do we best tailor this response to meet the needs, serve the people who are most vulnerable, and meet them right along their journey. As Caitlin mentioned, we we needed to be at the points of transit, and now we have multiple sites across the country. We have the main emergency field hospital in Lviv, 
And we also have outpatient clinics in Lviv, Central, and Southwest Ukraine. We're also operating mobile clinics so that our medical team can be flexible and adjust as the needs arise. And even since we recorded this conversation, we've continued to adjust our operations. Uh, so this is a unique unique response in that it's a conflict zone where things are constantly changing and you can look at predictions and you know see what people are expecting to happen with the war, but then we don't know exactly what will happen. Whereas a lot of times we're coming in after an earthquake. So the event has already happened. The need is already mm-hmm. there. The local hospital collapsed or maybe needs are just greater because of injuries resulted in the earthquake or a hurricane, something like that. So many times we're coming in after that crisis point, Mm -hmm. whereas this is unique because we're Mm -hmm. coming in in the midst of the crisis. Yeah, which makes it difficult on the staff to have to be reactive. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what did you even see in the staff, you know, having to be flexible? I know that you all disaster assistance response team members, they know that. I need to be flexible. But what, what impressed you about the disaster assistance response team? Yeah, so flexibility is always the core trait component of a DART member that really makes you successful in the field. So that was never more true maybe than the Ukraine response of being flexible, being adaptable, and also being just really prayerful of, God, where do you have us? Mm. Where do you want us to go? What what do you have for us? Who are we supposed to serve? And being willing to shift that, even if it looked differently than how we initially planned. Um so it was really incredible to work alongside the DART and see just their hearts to serve. When we first got there, the emergency field hospital was primarily serving as an outpatient emergency room. So we have some of the best doctors and nurses and surgeons from around the world here at this field hospital prepared to serve people impacted by bombs and missile strikes and all of these Uh, traumatic injuries, but then that's not what we were seeing. So just hearing their hearts of the people that God has for us to love on and to serve are whoever is coming through the tent. So even though it doesn't look like we prepared for or like what we anticipated, let's be just mindful of the opportunity to serve right here, to serve really a refugee population rather than a war-wounded population. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about some of the patients you met because they were, yes, varied in their needs. Um, and honestly, I think it sounds like very shell-shocked. So initially, it was hard to even talk with them a lot because many mm-hmm. were on their way. Um, and so they didn't want to sit down. You actually had to go to them sometimes and find people that needed help because they didn't want to take the time to sit. But you had some long conversations with people, and they really shared their hearts and what they'd seen, and and it was traumatizing. But w- introduce us to some of the patients you met, and maybe what, how did they impact you? Valentina, zavut mina, ni my name is Valentina. I'm 73 years old and I came from Kharkiv. We were being bombed. Our city was being bombed from the very first day. And at, at first I stayed. But then uh, when I was escaping um, to the bomb shelter and I fell and um, injured my leg, I decided that I should go away from the city. My name is Eugen. I'm living from Kharkiv. So tell me... How long have you been traveling? Uh, 
Несколько дней я уже ну, сбился со счета, у меня шок после бомбежки. So for a few days he lost his count because of his shock after the shelling. Can you describe what was happening in your hometown when you left? So there were bombings, like explosions. People were fleeing, like however they could. So they were bombing civilian buildings, like uh, civilian blocks, like women and children. Да, Тетяна мене звати. Я приїхала з Харкова. My name is Tetyana, and I came from Kharkiv. Can you describe what it was like in Kharkiv when you left? I live in the district of Kharkiv called Saltovka and it was okay there. It was it was shelled a lot, but sometimes we didn't have electricity, but usually heating and water, it was fine. <coughs> but one day um, a rocket, a missile hit um, in our house, but the um, neighboring entrance to the house from 9th and 8th uh, story like from up upside down <laughs> it was kind of terrifying to hear that sound because it was really loud and the glasses like just were just torn off and um, it was cold in Kharkiv so I somehow spent the two two days in the like tumbered the place between uh, two apartments and then I have had a good friend so she hosted me for a few days Ну, не так я можу дуже довго, бо в них своя сім'я дуже велика, і я приїхала сюди. So, uh, I, I didn't even have time to process, so uh, I think that I was like a little bit scared because of the loud sounds and because of the windows breaking. So a lot of times they were sharing parts of their story with me, but it was almost like they were telling a story that didn't even happen to them personally. You know, they'd be saying things like my mom was killed in a missile strike, or I don't know where the rest of my family is, or all of these tragic things, talking about dead bodies in the streets of the homes that they lived in. But they're telling those stories almost like it happened to someone else. Mm -hmm. They're not even Mm -hmm. processing what they've lived through, what they've seen, and what's ahead of them. They're just taking the next step forward in the best way that they know how. Physically, they're just doing the motion. They're just getting from A to B, B to C, C to D. Um, physically, that's, that's, that's where they're going. I think emotionally, um, they've been shredded. A lot of these people are just shredded. They're, they're, they've left bits and pieces of their family. There's abandonment and isolation and all that stuff going on and grief, which is just amounting by the, you know, by the day. They've come from a distant city, and they just need something immediate, and many of them have only 20 minutes before the next bus, so they need to get health care rapidly and then move on. And some people honestly show up with no idea what's next or what bus or train they're trying to catch, but they just want to keep moving. Mm-hmm. So even if they don't have a clue where their next step is, even to sit down for five or ten minutes is just the greatest challenge for them. People are coming in and just saying, could you check my blood pressure? Could you check if I'm doing okay? And people um, who haven't had blood pressure problems, for instance, in the past, have got blood pressures through the roof and their pulses through the roof. And so there's a lot of anxiety that's underneath that you can't see on their face. That's certainly surfacing through their, their vital signs. And, you know, we're a 
privileged position where we can just tie them over until the next part of their leg. We don't do the whole journey, but we can honour and love them in this section of, of what they're going through and just reassure them. And sometimes that's just, you know, some Tylenol and hydration and some love. But it seems like the ones that did come, that had the chance to sit down, there was a burden lifted. There was relief. They left a little bit lighter. So I had a patient come in this morning who just wanted her blood pressure checked, as many of our patients do. And before we could even get her name out of her, she was in tears. And so I just put my arm around her and told her, looks like you need a hug more than you need your blood pressure checked. And so we're able to love on these patients and they just let down when they finally realize that they're in a safe place even though they have such a journey to continue on to. Most of these people are physically in transit, and this is not their final destination in Lviv. And so they have to push forward. They have to um, keep it together for their kids, for their loved ones. And they walk into our tent and finally for a minute get to feel the exhaustion, the fatigue, the emotional trauma that they've been experiencing, and they just need somebody to hold them. Our medical team loves these patients with the love of Jesus. And Shannon is one of our nurses, and she said that for her, that's the most special part of this work. So the times that we get to love on our patients from an emotional, mental standpoint are the times that are the most precious to me. We're not here just to treat the physical ailments of these patients. We are here to show them the love of Jesus in a time that is so dark in their lives and to step in for just a minute to show them God's love and to just be a safe space for them. It makes it real to be able to hear these traumatic stories from people as they are going through the most difficult point of their life. And so for me, it breaks my heart, but I always pray that the Lord will break my heart for what breaks His and piece my heart back together to look more like His. Many of the stories are like this supporting people in their journey, having just a small touch point along the way. You know, the, the, our team has just minutes to shine the love and hope of Jesus into their lives during a dark time. But then there's other times where our team gets to build relationships with patients and spend more time getting to know them and caring for them. Vassal is one of these patients. He has diabetes, which means that it takes his wounds longer to heal. And because of the war, he wasn't able to go to his normal doctor and keep up with his medication. And he had a small cut on his foot, and it was rapidly growing into a serious problem. And he knew from past experience that he needed surgery. Like when uh, he understood that he needs uh, this um, surgery and uh, when doctors had him, uh, then became uh, war. So our hospital full of uh, soldiers and uh, so he couldn't continue his treatment. So uh, he in the uh, some news uh, heard about this your organization and so he decided to go uh, to come and tell about his uh, problem. Yeah. He heard that Samaritan's Purse had opened a medical clinic at this train station in Lviv, and it gave him just a glimmer of hope. He was heading west, escaping the war, and he thought this clinic might be his one shot to receive desperately needed care. At home, he just prayed, asked God to help him, and uh, start his journey. 
so Vassal boarded the five-hour train ride to seek help. So when he got to Lviv, got to Lviv, it was an air alarm, so he had to find some shelter. And that was in the evening, and we have also curfew, so he had to stay in the train station and wait. And uh, he uh, stayed for all night in train station, and it was very hard for him because he uh, feels uh, acute pain. He slept in the train station, and in the morning he was our first patient. He was waiting outside the medical tent for our team to arrive. And after an assessment, the train station medical team referred him to the Samaritan's Purse Emergency Field Hospital. It had been open to care for more complex injuries and healthcare needs. And immediately after assessing Vassal, Dr. Chris Brandenburg, an emergency physician, shared his first impression with Caitlin. So he's he's a diabetic and he's had amputations on a toe before. So he has a lot of foot issues anyway. He was fleeing his country. So doing a lot of walking up on his feet a lot. Um, he opened up a wound uh, on his right kind of lateral foot. And unfortunately, um, he kept walking, kept uh, moving around on that. And now there's kind of bone exposed uh, from there. So he's going to need some surgery. He needs IV antibiotics and he needs surgery. Vassal was quickly slated for surgery. And Dr. Tony Debare, one of our orthopedic surgeons, explained the urgency. The biggest risk is that uh, the infection spreads into the rest of the foot, uh, then goes up his leg. So he could easily lose his foot or you know, get an amputation because of that. So the, the idea is that the, the sort of the quicker you take care of this thing, the better. So they took him to surgery and cleaned out the wound and took a little bit of the bone as well. We started on some, on some antibiotics. Um, the plan would be to keep him close by for some IV antibiotics for an extended period of time. But because he is trying to get out of Ukraine um, and cross the border, um, Vasil is electing to move towards Poland or Germany. So we are facilitating some oral antibiotics and sending him out the door. And um, our build team was also involved and helped made an orthopedic boot for him, which he absolutely loves. <laughs> nice. Um, what is that like for you as a healthcare provider, you know, having patients come through who you want to keep here on IV antibiotics and they're like, we got to, we got to move on. You know, it's difficult in a field hospital. This is my first time in uh, the Samaritan's first field hospital, but it's difficult because you have a certain standard of care that you're used to and encouraging patients, hey, you know, this could become complicated if we don't treat this way. However, he is, in a sense, fleeing for his life and trying to move towards safety. And you, you really have to allow the patient to um, kind of become their own primary care provider when they're in a situation like this and establish for themselves what their definition of health is and then support them in any way that you can. So when he comes in, we want him to be able to leave in better condition than when he arrived. So. Samaritan's Purse provided the surgery. As Jared, the nurse practitioner you just heard from said, we're supporting the patients as individuals and caring for them in their unique journeys. Part of that care was more than just physical. The team got to love him, pray for him, and get to know him. So Vasil is a character, I'll put it that way. Every time you come and talk to him, his, you can 
you almost don't need a translator because of his expressions. He really engages the eyebrows. <laughs> and he grabs your hand, he pulls you close, gives you the head-to-head -head, head, headbutt. <laughs> um, and then once you start talking to him, um, he, he almost tears up every time. And he, he tells me he's a Christian man, and he welcomes prayer every time you want to pray with him. Here's what Vassal said about the care that he received. You uh, do a big mission, a big mission, because you're not only uh, the place where the war, but with the uh, weather, some cataclysm, with earthquake, so you're not afraid, you're go when people in dire straits. And also, not only you help with like a treatment, but also your attitude. Uh, how do you do it? Yes, uh, so he's very surprised and very grateful. And he said that um, this uh, like uh, amazing uh, Samaritan purse, that's uh, like amazing organization that's uh, do a big, big work. As Jared mentioned, our build team even custom fit him for a boot to stabilize his foot as he journeyed ahead. We didn't have the type of orthopedic shoe that he would traditionally use, uh, to stabilize Vassal's foot. But the build team went above and beyond to help uh, provide Vassal with uh, something that was able to help him in his healing process. I always think of our doctors on the ground as MacGyvers. You know, they're willing and able to use whatever they have uh, to accomplish the purpose that they need for their patients. And so even in a lack, they're able to find something to help them function. We'll post a picture of Vassal showing off his boot on our Instagram because you can tell he's so proud of it and thankful to be able to have mobility again. Through tears, he thanked our team. So, uh, he just uh, want to be sure that you understand that he doesn't cry before because of his pain. He just cried because of all this situation in our country and because of your attitude, because of your kindness. So that's not about his pain, uh, that just cries his heart and his soul. So uh, he uh, said uh, thank you for nurse and doctors, but also he wants to say thank you, a big thank you for all the staff. He cried for his country, and he cried out of gratitude for our team. This is where God has brought us. We're to love the people that he brings through each tent, no matter what that looks like, and just remembering, yeah, love the people in front of you. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how that'll change in the coming weeks, uh, in the coming days, but we know that we can be good stewards of what we have right now and that we can share God's love with each person who's in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, how can we be praying? You know, you were just there, and I always think of Bob Pierce, you know, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Your heart has been broken. You've seen some hard things, and you probably have faces in your mind when you pray now. Um, how can we be praying for our staff, for the churches, but also the Ukrainian people? Yeah, I think first in praying for the Samaritan's Purse staff who are there for stamina, for resilience, and like we said earlier, that they'll just be able to really see the people right in front of them, no matter what that looks like, no matter if it meets expectations of who who they thought they would be serving, but to really just serve well, mm -hmm. love well, um, and keep 
keep their focus on the true reason we're there, uh, which is to be a light in a dark place. And then for these families who are journeying out, I think my prayer for them is just that that in these touch points that they'll remember, that they'll know and remember that it was the church who served them, that God loves them, that they're not alone. And of course, uh, for safety and an end to the conflict itself. Thank you for listening today. I hope that hearing the stories of the people in Ukraine touched your heart and gave you renewed compassion for the people of Ukraine. Please continue to pray for our team that's serving and the Ukrainian church and the people that are that we're helping in Jesus' name. And I hope you could see that we are meeting physical needs through medical, through food, through other essential items, and that is really important. But the biggest need is spiritual. And we're sharing the gospel and we're praying with these patients. And so I just wanted to share with you today, if you've never heard the gospel, you know, share what we share with our patients. You know, we share with them that that God loves them so much. And that is why we do what we do with Samaritan's Purse. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the reason that we meet physical needs all over the world. And we all have a spiritual need, whether you're in the middle of a crisis in Ukraine or you're here in the United States, we all have a spiritual need. We're sinners living in a fallen, broken world. We're separated from God due to our sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God loved us so much that he sent his only son into this world uh, to die, to rise, so that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And that is the greatest gift. And that's what we want to share with everyone. Uh, It's a choice, though. uh, And it's something we all need to make a decision for Christ. And if you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you're unable to save yourself. Um, The Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never heard this before or you want more information, I encourage you to go to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association website. We'll put it in the show notes, but you can also call a a prayer hotline. They're available any time of day to talk with you, to pray with you, and their number is 888-388-2683. So I encourage you to do that today. Um, Thank you again for tuning in. Um, If you don't mind sharing this episode or leave a review, we would love for more people to hear about this and be able to pray for our staff and the people of Ukraine. And that's the best way to get this message out. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for your support. I hope you have a great day.